Victory 91.5. It's Coffee with Corey. And this morning, we have a special guest, our general manager, Ray Haynes. You're talking about this Jewish festival called Purim and teaching us all about, you know, how God wants us just to not only know about it, but how to actually enter into celebrating something that he created for us. Yeah, it's a gift for us. You know, for most Christians, it's not a common thing, obviously. For most Jews, it is a very common and one of their uh, probably most popular and uh, enjoyable feasts or festivals that they do. Uh, uh, it's kind of sad because it'll be a very rainy day in some areas like our area, but it is definitely a, a fest a festival for them. It's mm -hmm. not just uh, a feast or a fast. It's a, a pretty cool time. It's interesting. Now, the uh, story is found in the Megillah of Esther, which now the word Megillah, that's just the word for scroll or book in Hebrew. Now, um, it, the book of Esther, though, it's actually known as simply the Megillah because it's so popular of all the scrolls and books. It's just called the scroll. So when they're reading it, it's just as popular as you could get because of that. So it's chanted in the synagogue twice during the evening service, which would have been last night, and on the eve of Purim, and once in the morning of Purim. The Megillah is read from a parchment scroll that's written the same way a Torah is written, by hand with a goose quill, and it's chanted standing up using this special cantillation that's used only for the book of Esther, and there's a reason for that. It's a very interactive reading. As I said, it's a very fun, noisy kind of a time. Of all the services you might want to try to visit a congregation, this would be one of those, a Messianic congregation, because they really have a lot of fun. It's literally dramas and plays, sometimes music. Uh, it's a musical. It, it could be anything. It's just wide open. So, But it's very fun, noisy. Many of the people are in costume. They're skits, sometimes puppets. It's, it's not your typical uh, Jewish uh, feast or festival, needless to say. All right, so uh, it starts with a blessing. There's three parts to the blessing, which are chanted or sung. I'm obviously not going to do either one of those, but <laughs> I'll just hit the highlights. Baruch That means simply, that, which is the most traditional beginning of all the blessings in Hebrew. Blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the universe. And then Asher Kitchenu, B'mitzvatav v'tivanu amikra megillah. And that simply means who sanctified us through his commandments. So you have that same blessing beginning, and it's followed us. Uh, with two next phrases, which who wrought miracles for our ancestors in those days at this season and who has kept us alive, sustained us, and brought us to this season. So that's the beginning. That's chanted also afterwards. But that is how everything begins. In fact, they just found the scroll of Esther and uh, put it on display. It's from about the 1500s. And not only is the book of Esther on it, but that blessing is on there as well. So it's mm -hmm. kind of built to stand up and begin to do the entire thing. So if you were at a, a congregation, that blessing would be read, and then they start reading the scroll. I'm just going to kind of walk you through the story. So, and kind of get you ready for what happens. When uh, Haman or Haman's name is read out loud, it occurs 54 times, so it's kind of active. Everybody makes noise to blot out his name. The practice comes from a passage in the Midrash where the verse, you shall blot out the remembrance of Amalek, and it's explained to me even from wood and stones. So anytime his name is even read, they try to outshout you or, or, or boo something to bring that name uh, setting aside. Now, a custom developed of writing the name of, of Haman on two smooth stones and knocking them together until the name was literally blocked blocked out. Or else, if you wrote it in ink or chalk or, or whatever, you pounded it together until the name disappeared. 
Some wrote the name of Haman or Haman on the soles of their shoes, and at the mention of that name, whenever it's called out, they stomped with their feet again, trying to get the name to be become invisible. So whenever Haman's name is mentioned, they yell, boo, use loud spinning noisemakers to literally blot out his name whenever it's mentioned. It's a lot like, if you will, a college football game where everybody gets dressed up, makes lots of noise, you're cheering for your team and booing the other team. That just like times 100. So let's go back four or 500 years before the time of Jesus. The story takes place in Persia, where the southern kingdom of Judah was taken into captivity, then eventually released from exile by King Cyrus. But most of the Jews did not return to Israel. They chose to, instead of coming to their homeland, they made a life right there in this hub of the largest empire in history. The story begins with the powerful Persian king Ahasuerus. His Greek name was Xerxes I, the more common name. He's hosting a six-month feast to honor his army and the leaders of his massive kingdom. His queen's name is Vashti. She was the great-granddaughter of Nebuchadnezzar, who destroyed the first temple. So she comes from a very famous line. Ahasuerus drank so much, his leaders began to beg him to order the beautiful queen Vashti to parade herself in front of everyone, wearing only her crown. <laughs> if you're the queen, obviously, you're not going for that. She refused. Now, in the law of the Medes and Persians, you don't get that option. So he had her executed. Now, consider what it was like to be married to this guy. <laughs> Next, the king ordered that every single young woman in his massive kingdom be brought before him so he could choose a new queen to replace Vashti. And obviously, she could not refuse to be married to him. So put yourself in that place. You're living in Persia. You're brought there. You're this young Jewish girl. This is your situation. You, you have a hard time imagining, oh, it's God. Yes, it's God. But watch what happens. During the next four years, more than 1,400 girls were brought to the palace for the king to choose as his potential queen. And that's when we meet a beautiful orphan girl named Hadassah who lived among the exiles of Judah. When her parents died, she was adopted by her uncle Mordechai, and she grew up in his home as if she was his own daughter. Now, it was during the 10th month of that year, called Tabet, that she was brought to the place in the palace to live with all these other girls. But Mordecai had told her not to reveal that she was Jewish, but instead to use her Persian name, Esther, which is the name we all know her by. Mordecai was a big part of the story. We meet him in Esther chapter 2, and it's a fascinating introduction. There was a Yehudi, a Jewish man, in Shushan, the capital, whose name was Mordecai, son of Yer, son of Shimli, son of Kish, a Benjaminite. Now, if you paid attention there, you notice several things. Mordecai is referred to as a Jew. In fact, that's it. That's the first time in history that name pops up. He was the first person to be called a Jew. Before then, Jews were called Hebrews or Israelites. What's interesting, though, is that Mordecai, it says, was a Benjaminite, not from Judah. So he's called a Yehudi or Jew, which literally means a descendant of the tribe of Yehuda or Judah. So it gives you both sides and you kind of shake your head thinking, what in the world? Well, throughout the Megillah of, of Esther, the entire Jewish people, regardless of their tribe, for the first time are called Yehudim, or they, those of, of Judah. So the word begins to take on a new meaning, more important even than their individual tribes. The root word that uh, Yehudi comes from means to acknowledge, to accept. So it looks like all 12 tribes are now one people, the people of the Torah, the law. And this first happens in Megillah.
As for Hadassah, Esther, Hadassah is Hebrew for myrtle, like the tree. Esther is a Persian name that relates to the morning star. In Hebrew, it's related to the root word for hidden, and it's kind of a theme of the story. She conceals her identity, and God's intervention was hidden throughout the events. So it's there's all kind of these little themes going on within the book, and we'll break that all down. I'll start with the plots uh, coming up next.